You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. My name is Michael and uh, yesterday I wasn't wearing any pants, but today I'm not wearing a shirt. But you can't tell because uh, there's no video element to this. Um, So that being said, I have a very special guest with me today. Someone that I have admired since watching the 2004 Tony Awards standing next to my mom. Um, Just because I couldn't, I was so excited. I couldn't sit down. And every time a new uh, performer would show up on stage, uh, I would run to the TV and, mm-hmm. and, and stare. And I'll never forget my guest's uh, performance uh, as she represented Caroline or Change. I am so thrilled to welcome an artist who is not only nominated for a Tony, but has won a Tony and whose brand is integrity and speaks up for the people who don't often get the mic. I am so excited to welcome to the conversation, Miss Tanya Pinkins. Hey, Michael, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I was up, up looking at your photos today. Really, you have a great eye. Really beautiful. Thank you. And, I, you know, we're just going to have to get you in the studio, but we'll Absolutely. talk about that after. <laughs> um, no, I, I really am so excited. You know, there, this business is full of full circle moments for me. And this is one of them. I was just writing about, uh, I'm doing a lot of writing right now. And I was writing about some of my earliest memories in show business. And one was the 2004 Tony Awards, watching you do Carolina Change. And it was, can you talk to me more about what that night was like for you? Because it was such a spellbinding performance. Thank you so much. Um, You know, I... I'm a, I don't even know what the word is. I, I think I've been using the word clairvoyant lately, but um, that was, that was like my third Tony nomination, but my company and the publicist didn't think I had a shot. So I didn't do any press on that except for the personal press I did. And then the second time I was nominated for best actress was for play on and our show had already closed. So there was no press. And so um, going through a Tony process with a with a a team and a company of publicity people I felt it was a lot like what it must be like going through a presidential campaign like the lunches the dinners the handholding the it was like a lot of work and there was this great deal of responsibility I felt to all of the people who were working so hard to get me the nomination and to ensure that I would win 
So I think I went into it with that. I also went into it just kind of not expecting to win. Um, but feeling like I was going to have to take care of the feelings of all of these people who were so um, moved by this, this, this material and who it allowed them to um, honor parts of themselves that they had cut off. So um, that was sort of my space of like, this was this opportunity for me to be a, a vessel, vessel for, you know, a very powerful um, spiritual touching of people's hearts and minds and souls. And that I had a, a duty beyond the award ceremony to continue to do that and to take care of all of the people who were so invested in me winning the award. And so that, that was really what that was for me. I'm obsessed with this already because you already mentioned clairvoyance and I love um, researching and kind of figuring out the difference between clairvoyance and claircognizance. Uh, I never heard of claircognizance. What is that? Yeah. So clairvoyance is more of like the, uh, the um, you can perceive events in the future beyond like normal sensory contact and, and claircognizance is when you're kind of um, it, it, it's like, no, it's like, uh, it's like when you've intuitively like arrived, it's like knowing when, like who's at the end of the phone, the other line, when the phone rings, it's sort of like that. Hmm. When you just sort of like know things. And today we're recording on April 15th. And this is a huge day for me because based on my Claire cognizance, I know that I was on the Titanic in a past Ooh. life. And today okay. is the day that it sank 108 years ago. Wow. Mm. And I feel like you have, I know we've run it. We've, we've, we've met briefly a few times just because we're, we're um, founding members of musical theater factory yeah. and we've worked with Shakina um, who is also like, you know, she is just uh, a lesson in the spiritual realm as well. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, that that sense of connection that you were talking about um it 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 resonates off of you so deeply it's you know uh when you look at a photo of you when you watch you perform it's you you resonate uh, this energy that it makes me so interested in you as a human and performer um so i'm so i'm so glad that you're talking with me today yeah, no, it's my, my, my pleasure. Yeah, the clairvoyance is a word that I've really just started using to de de describe myself this year because I start well, actually last fall, because I started working with a homeopathic osteopath who um, was explaining to me the history of those fields and that the practitioners who came up with homeopathy and osteopathy were actually clairvoyant. They knew things about the body and um, and they were able to codify them into systems that other people could use. That's amazing. You know, um, my, uh, my stepmother, you know, not, this is, this is meant to be a, a positive story, but my, my stepmother has ALS and she's had ALS since 2007. Um, so she's lived with it for almost 13 years. That's amazing. Which is pretty amazing, but um, and I think the reason is because of the homeopathy that she has received. What and she was working with, because I have another friend who has been working with ALS for two years. She's eighty-six years old. 
that's unbelievable. I I'm not I'm not sure who she's working with and and the I'd love I can, to share with my friend. I mean, maybe off the session, you could tell me. Yeah, yeah, no, I would, I would, I would love that. I mean, I just think that homeopathy is really important because, from my own experience, you know, when Amy was going through um, the early stages of of this awful disease and and getting this treatment, including stem cell research um, in Turkey, she had a, they had to go to Turkey wow. to get stem cell research, which was unbelievable. But um, but you know, I was sitting in the sessions and the homeopathy homeopathic doctor um grabbed my arm and she just knew something was off with me and mm. and grabbed my arm and pumped it a few times she was like hold it out and 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 try to resist and she literally looked at me and was like your body chemistry is a 20 that's the worst it can be Ooh. and what was happening was i had this antibiotic in my body since I was about eight years old that had not come out and was screwing up my system. Wow. And the minute she put me on that therapy, it was like 20 natural pills a day. And, um, the, what is the sugar disease? Um, Diabetes. Oh, candida. Candida. Mm-hmm. Candida. She put me on a candida diet and within a month, every negative symptom that I was having because of that antibiotic was gone. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I like to work with homeopathy personally. And, and I think as actors, I, you know, cause I'm a multi-hyphenate, I'm an artist who has multiple proficiencies that cross pollinate to help flourish professional capabilities. <laughs> it's a very Shakina answer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, when she came up with um, Musical Theater Factory, uh, the original um, idea of Musical Theater Factory was that we produce uh, theater free from the pressures of critical commercial success. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. I thought that was absolutely amazing. And I was like, how how succinct is that, is that uh, explanation of what we do? Mm-hmm. And Musical Theater Factory has had some critical and commercial success, oh. despite not even trying to. I know. Can we talk about Strange Loop for a second? Mm-hmm. Lord Fell nominated this day. I'm so, so thrilled beyond belief for Michael and for Larry and for El Morgan. I mean, that is, and, and watching it start from an idea that was just yeah. incubate, incubated with MTF. Yes. You know, it was, it's just amazing. And how we have so many ideas that, you know, you are a multi-hyphenate, uh, you know, I, you're, you're a director, you're, um, you're, you produce, you work with social change. Um, what else do you do? You do so much more. How can you, how, please explain to me, Tanya, I don't mean to, to say all the answers. Please explain to me how you work as an artist. Well, um, I think that the energy of creativity can express through people in such a plethora of ways. And so I, I have a, an extremely high level of creative energy going through me. I've birthed four children at home. Birthing, you know, that is creative energy. Um, I wrote a self-help book 
that came out in 2006, published by Hyperion called Get Over Yourself, How to Drop the Drama and Claim the Life You Deserve. And it is a, a workbook of spiritual practices that I have found useful in manifesting things that I desire. Um, I also developed uh, a system of working with artists that I called the actorpreneur attitude. And I've worked with corporate people and I've worked with theater people, but I realized that that's come out of my clairvoyance that I often know things about people and I can move people's energy and get them to experience something. But if they don't have the scaffolding inside of themselves to believe what, what we in a room might've experienced or what I have been able to elicit, they won't be able to reproduce it or even to believe it happened. So my book, Get Over Yourself, is a set of tools that you do as a workbook to start building that scaffolding in yourself. And um, let's see, what else do I do? I, I write plays. I write screenplays. I produced a series of plays last year that came out of my experience within the um, Me Too Times Up movement before it went public because I witnessed so much of women oppressing women within that movement. And so I reached out to a lot of playwrights. I know like um, Lucy Thurber, Nandita Shinoy, um, Caridad Fitch. Uh, Michelle Robinson, um, uh, gosh, there's so many, I have 25 playwrights, Kim Sykes. Um, and I asked them to write 10 minute plays about a way in which a woman oppresses another woman. It could be historical, it could be personal experience. And for them to then model what it would look like for those women to, to heal that, that, that wound. And so we have these amazing songs, Amanda Green and, and, um, Shayna Taub wrote this hysterical, crazy song, which is sort of like white women apologizing for all the things they ever did called cunt, cunt, cunt. I was a cunt. Um, <laughs> and, and we produced these plays at the, at the tank last year, full production, but we had readings with on guard arts. Um, and we also did it at the Deepak home base. So that's something I'm really passionate about. We videoed it. I want to get those videos produced so I can get that out into the world. Cause I think it's really important that as artists, we begin to model what we want the world to look like. It's, it's so easy to write about the conflicts and the struggles, but let's show what it can be, what's possible. And then I have been very interested in directing. And, you know, strangely, when you reach success in, in some level, at least I found for me as a, a Black woman, that doesn't translate to transferring over. So I, I spent about three years shadowing directors in television and... Um, wasn't feeling closer to getting hired. So I decided, well, I'll hire myself. And I wrote, produced, and directed uh, my first uh, feature film. It stars Ruben Blades, um, Luba Mason, Catherine Irby, Kathy Curtin, um, Adeshala Osakalumi, uh, Jake O'Flaherty, Colby Menifee, a lot of New York theater people. And it's me taking some of my clairvoyance and putting it into the horror genre because oftentimes I know things and people don't want to hear them. So it's called Red Pill. And it is a sociopolitical horror film about what's going to be coming after the 2020 election. Oh, <laughs> my God. That's unbelievable. Red Pill, yeah. So before we go more into Red Pill and um, and that amazing uh, project, it sounds brilliant. I, I, I have two very specific questions to ask you, things that you touched on. I, you know, you, you talked about your um, 
the the forming the model of the ideal world that you see existing in especially because getting hired for work wasn't coming as often as you'd liked it and you were starting to create your own so what is your ideal world that you would like to exist in as a human and artist well i think that that's different for different people and so if you were to see this the truth and reconciliation plays what you know, what that looks like is very different. I did not police people's idea of what their healing would look like. (laughs) There was quite a variety of ways. I think for myself, um, freedom looks like being able to um, have the resources to be able to creatively express and to get that out into the world and to find the audience that wants to receive it and to be able to sustain my life that way. Um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of all I need. (laughs) I love that. I'm obsessed with that. And you know, it's so funny. I I base so so much off of my life, off of the Albert Einstein quote, uh, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. Mm, And mm, I feel like you are the perfect example of that quote. It's, it's so simple, it's concise, and it helps me just sort of, just follow your lead and trust that the whatever work you produce is going to fall under that umbrella. And that's what I will get. Mm, yeah, now yeah. with your, with get over yourself, which I'm, I'm literally adding to my cart as we speak. Um, <laughs> I, I can't wait to read it because I love, I love that sort of mentality and you have a tough love sort of mentality. What was, when did you start to have that relationship with yourself and others, a sort of uh, a, a, refle- a reflective energy and a tough love energy? When, when did that start for you? I don't know that I truly have a tough love energy. I think I'm definitely not tough love on my kids. <laughs> One of them is sitting with me and she probably would say something very different. But, um, you know, I feel like one of the worst things that ever happened to me was when I met someone who was being very kind and who I felt was such a good friend, but they, they told me like the terrible things that had happened to me that I had gone through. I didn't deserve it. And that seems like it's such a kind, kind thing, but the truth is none of us deserve either the bad things or the good things. Right. And I think that for a time, I was sort of weakened by the feeling of well, why is it happening that, that I spent too much time and energy and the why, why, why. And instead of like, you know what, whether it's good, whether it's bad, it's going to pass. Right. Enjoy it. Know it's going to move on. And you didn't earn or deserve anything you got. But if you get it, enjoy it. Make the most of it. But I feel like there's so much energy and attention and books and shows Um, And I spent a lot of my life trying to get it right. And it took more than half of my life to realize that there is no right. There's just right for you right now. Correct. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. 
It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I love that. I, I feel like, you know, we as artists, sometimes we think that there's an end game. Uh, that mm. we're going to wake up and we're going to be like, I achieved everything that I need to do. But for me personally, and I'm only going to speak for myself in instances like this, just because, you know, I, even though I'm 28, I've been in the industry for 20 years and I've been lucky enough to be able to, to work. And I've been lucky enough to work with people that I have admired and continue to admire, but watching us have second and third and fourth artistic puberties <laughs> is a really interesting thing because I think that's where um, a multi-hyphenate comes out of. It's the growing, it's the, okay, well, that was my goal for a year or two and I got that or I didn't and our cells change and now I'm ready. For- or I- Sorry, go for it. You know what I'm saying? Like, or I really wanted to, to work with this one and work with that. And you did it. And it was like, that was great. Okay. Now what else can I do? Like for me, I'm always like, okay, well, what, what else can I try that I might fail at? Like, I'm always kind of just looking to learn something new. So, you know, there are people who would be happy being in a long running show. That is not anything that would ever interest me. Once I have solved character to the extent that I can, it's time to move on to another one. Or if um, like in the instance of, of Play On and Jelly's Last Jam, they were both jazz singers in the 30s and 40s, but it was important to me that they be night and day from one another. And that's, you know, not everybody wants that because so much of capitalism and 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 success in, in, in show business is about standardization. You know, what's your brand? We got to know that when we're selling you, people are going to get the this and th- they can hire you and put you in this slot. And that just doesn't interest me at all. <laughs> that's no, that's amazing. I, I love that. It's, it's, it's almost as if the, um, the, the, the work that we do in the rehearsal room is, why we do it and then you know the show do it doing it on on stage is amazing obviously because you know we get to share it with an audience but for us and for that journey it's the the playground is the rehearsal room yes what are some of your favorite rehearsal rooms that you've been in anytime i've gotten to work in a rehearsal room with george seawolf it is it is just it ruins you for life he is (laughs) he's brilliant as a writer, as a producer, as a director, he's this soulful person. He's deeply spiritual. He can read you like the greatest psychic. He makes it fun and funny and whatever you're doing, he's going to let you explore it. And then once he's figured out all the stuff that you know how to do, that you figured out how to do, he's going to push you further. And so definitely he is my, my favorite collaborator. I actually just saw him recently. And I told him, I said, I'm not ever going to work with anybody again. If I'm not going to work with you. And he's like, Time to get you're going to have to work for other people. <laughs> I said, I just, they're just not interesting enough for me. <laughs> and he says, well, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to. 
And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's it, and that's so funny because it's like you know you're you're so uh, I feel you know with watching you do stuff at Joe's Pub and watching uh, and watching you um, over the last few years, I feel like you've started. You've you've worked with a lot of younger artists that have um, kind of skyrocketed. So I feel like your trust is sort of shifting. Maybe <laughs> no, I just am always interested in like what's the future? Who's the who's the next great artist? Oh my god, they're doing something really cool. I don't know how to do that. Let me go over there and learn how to do that. So yeah, getting to go downtown and work with Bridget Everett and Brian Nash and Molly Pope. Like that's an arena that I had at that point never, ever explored. I, I needed to go and fail at it. I mean, when I first met Bridget, she scared the freaking hell out of me. And and when I did um, Your Hit Parade, she was like, oh, Tanya, you can just sing a, a pretty song. And I was like, I can't just sing a pretty song. These people are doing some crazy, wild, adventurous stuff. i got to challenge myself to do that. And I decided to take on my Catholicism. And oh my God, I was so terrified. I cried for weeks leading up to my, our hit parade, but it changed my life because I didn't realize how much my beliefs about Catholicism were limiting my ability to be an artist. And once I had done this, this thing as a performer that I thought like God is definitely going to strike me down dead or my children, it just opened up so many more possibilities in my life. So I'm always looking to see what the young people are doing because, you know, th that's the future. If I want to stay an artist and keep growing, I got to see, you know, who's making the next start. Can you um, elaborate a little more on how you felt that um, you, at, there was a time when you felt like you couldn't uh, intertwine your Catholicism and your artistry? I would love to learn more about that. Well, I think, you know, Catholicism gets like in your DNA somehow. And it's like, you have to be good and you have to be nice and you have to be polite. And in Catholicism, it, there's no degrees of wrong. Like if you think it, it's the equivalent of having done it. So to even think the thought is sinful. And so, I mean, if you can imagine the kind of policing I had to do for myself to, <laughs> you know, cause I don't even know that we think our thoughts. I think sometimes we are just thought. Yeah. And so to, to constantly be berating myself for things that just were thoughts that were thinking me. And this piece that I did in our hit parade was um, we took Blow Me One Last Kiss and I dressed as a nun and we went into this whole exorcist thing and I had a crucifix and I was beating myself and I was swearing and I ended it with a, you know, pulling up my habit and having a dildo strapped on underneath me. And it was like, it was just sacrilege of the highest, you know, and, um, literally I, I, I didn't my, like, my friends were like, why would you do this thing that you're like in tears and so terrified about? I said, because I can't live with this fear. I have to go through to the other side of this. And after I had done it and I was still alive and my children were still alive, I just noticed that the kinds of art that I thought of suddenly there were just options that of, of things I could do that prior to having done that, that piece, I would have been like, Oh no, I don't do that. I don't do that. Oh, I don't do that. Wow. And I wouldn't have known why. <laughs> so did this, um, so did, so did this, uh, thought process, did this, uh, this discovery in yourself, this opened yourself up to projects like red pill? 
Um, no, Red Pill, what made Red Pill possible for me was I think that 2016, you know, I just was really clear about who was going to win that election. And I was treated with such contempt yeah. whenever I mentioned it to anyone in New York. They treated me like I was an idiot and had two heads. And then I was reading Stephen King's book of essays, and he talked about how a lot of the things he thought of, people weren't open to hearing, but that, you know, horror and science fiction was the perfect place to talk about things that the world wasn't ready to hear. And so Red Pill is a lot about cults and how cults take existing iconography and mythology and use it to, you know, forward their mission, like the way Hitler took the forked cross and made it into the swastika. And so um, it was about my sort of knowing that there is something working in our country that despite our, our best energies and all of our efforts, we need to stop discounting people who disagree with us. We need to count their opinions as being as important, as valid, and equal as us. Someone was telling me this morning that the Swiss government is three languages, three cultures, and the main thing they agreed on is that they would disagree. And we haven't done that in America yet. And so this blue-red divide, my story is about this group of progressives who, for all of their intellect and their knowledge and you know what they want to do, when you listen to them and look at them, you see that they couldn't actually form a solid focused coalition. But my red people, they don't even talk, but they get shit done. And so it's really a way for me to, in an entertaining way, look at what I see in New York City in terms of the disdain for people who live in other places. You know, I have a big community in Missouri that's a sustainable community that homeschools and doesn't vaccinate. And they are as important to me as any other community. So I just, you know, I wanted to be able to explore in an entertaining way what I live. And um, that's what Red Pill is. It is a horror film, wow. but it's the horror film of what happens when neoliberals, you know, get so high and mighty that they think that they've already, they've already won. And that there's, you know, because of their, their, their smarts and their, what they know and, uh, you know. Yeah. And, you know, that ties in, you know, that that conversation that you're having with your community about who you, I don't even want to mention, you know, his name, but who you- I don't say the name either. Yeah. So who you thought was going to win, you know, that is also a reflection on your claircognizance that we were talking about earlier. It's it's that- Yeah. It's that filling in the blank, the, the knowing who's at the other end of the line when the phone rings. And my mom- my mom was the same way. She knew. She knew that it was going to happen. And I, and I'm not going to lie. I was, the, I was on the other end of the line going, no, it's not. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to, it's going to be good. We're going to do this. And, uh, ultimately boy, boy, were we disappointed. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes like, if I think about clairvoyance, like I have a a teacher who's a metaphysician and a, and a, a mystic. And one of the things she says is if you know everything about one thing, you can know anything about anything. And so I think part of clairvoyance is being willing to see, to be, to be able to see and be open to what you see, even if it's not pretty and you don't like it to recognize that 
whatever it is, it's serving a purpose, whether you like it or not, there's some purpose that exists. It, it's here for a reason. And to try to move into that rather than moving away from it. Right. So I'm an empath. So basically, uh, I, um, I take on emotion that exists mm-hmm. and, um, I, uh, also am very sensitive to, uh, ghosts and spirits and everything. Mm-hmm. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, people ask me sort of how I communicate that or, or how I experience that. And they're like, wow, you have such a gift. You have such a gift. I'm like, no, it's not necessarily a gift. It's um, what it is, is it's fact and, and it's science. It's literal potential and kinetic energy. And, and it's the way that I communicate. It's, it's my empathy is the way is one section of my communication skills, how I could pick up on what is not just happening uh, with you and I, but what's happening between you and I, Mm -hmm. you know, and, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, I translate that to when I perform, I translate to photography, I translate that to when I produce and I translate to that when I write. And it's really interesting because it's like when I could pick up that someone is in the room, that's not you and I, that's someone else. I don't see anyone. It's not like I see like a Victorian lady in the corner. It's just that Mm -hmm. I'm almost downloaded her information based on the energy that I'm picking up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I understand that. And I feel like, you know, that helps as, um, as an actor, because then you can, well, I, for me, I can infer the mentality, the, the things that are going on on the page and, and, and interpret it my own way. Well, definitely. I, I am an interpreter and I'm able to, this is a place where I'm in a transition about this is that as a, in the beginning and most of my career, I really felt that the gift I brought to writers was that I could show them a million different ways for their stories to be told. Huh. Like I could show them, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. But now that I write more, I feel like, you know, maybe a writer just really needs someone who's going to come in and show them exactly what they had in their mind. And that's a gift to them too. And I'm like, I'm not that person because that will bore me. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes that's what I want as a writer, you know? (laughs) Right. And, and it's, you know, I, I don't write for anyone else just yet. I'm kind of dabbling and with quarantine, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really, you know, starting to think of things and stories that I can tell, but um, I have a one man play that I wrote and really the only person that's delivering those lines is me. So I'm, I'm ultimately serving the playwright because the playwright (laughs) is me, but I'm really excited to, when I stretch my legs more as a writer, because that's a new hyphen for me. um, When I stretch my legs more as a writer, I'm really excited to see you know, those puzzles come, the, the puzzle pieces come together. Uh, and ultimately it's like sitting behind a table. Uh, if, if you're an actor, it's like so many people say that one of the most educational aspects that you can do as an actor is sit behind a table and watch auditions, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and because we're recording this during quarantine, uh, you know, the, the journey of a multi-hyphenate um, has changed in my opinion so drastically just because we're 
we're working from home. There's only so much we could do from home, but there is a lot we can do. How has your life changed since uh, being in quarantine? Um, well, I don't get to go to the gym and I don't get to take long walks and I don't get to go to the jacuzzi <laughs> and I'm cooking, cleaning lots more. I have all four of my offspring under one roof or I did have all four of my offspring under one roof. That's changing as of um, yesterday. But for the last month, I've had four of my kids in the apartment with me. And so I've gotten to cook and clean and play games with them. And um, not so much just alone time, daydreaming, um, energy really focused on them, which is a gift for me. Because it's like, what if I don't make it through this? Wow, at least I, I got to have this great concentrated time with my, my kids. So, um, you know, they're going off to different places now and that's opening up. And so maybe now I'll focus a little more on some creating, doing this interview with you. Uh, Taylor Mac is part of a platform and I'm going to try to create some stuff on this platform where they're raising money. Um, I'll say that again, because something went through on my computer. They're raising money for artists who are struggling during this time. And so they're asking people to um, create content that they can get people to pay to see. And then they give all that money to artists who are struggling right now. So trying to think of, they want it to be sort of quarantine based content that you're making in your home and, trying to figure out what that is or to adapt some of the things that I have been doing to, um, you know, to support other people who aren't as fortunate as I am. You know, there's so much great stuff happening out of all of this yeah. awful stuff that's happening and leave it to the theater community. I, you know, we are the first responders all the time. Yeah, we are. I mean, I think that artists are the soul of a culture. You bet. You bet. And, you know, even going back to 2004, which was my, I get, I get, it was the first live Tonys that I watched. It's like, you know, I was going, I went to three different middle schools and I had a rolling backpack and I was heavy and my voice hadn't changed. And, you know, I was just bait for bullies. And, but you watching watching you perform it all went away you healed you know you gave me answers you told me that it was going to be okay and that i just had to wait a few more years before i can make i can call the shots i can create the life that i had always wanted so it was you know i think that even when the broadway community isn't actively like fundraising or trying to heal we're just healing always all the time there's a generosity of spirit of of actors that um is is really astonishing yeah and we are always working for free and and giving up our talent which is you know how we have to support ourselves but we are constantly giving of this thing that is is how we have to sustain ourselves giving it to help sustain our communities. What's truly so interesting about working for free is that, you know, when I started photography, one of my worst, one of the the things that gave me agita was thinking of charging people. But, mm. but as soon as I started charging people, that's when people took me seriously. Mm. And, and it's so interesting. It's like, you know, I know as actors, 
whenever when I'm asked to do a a concert or I'm asked to do a reading or something and and uh I'm met with you know there's no mention of <laughs> of a of a fee or a stipend or anything I'll ask I'll ask because you know what there's probably something there and you, who can fight for us if we can't fight for ourselves yes um but working for free is a really interesting thing we all i i feel like as a society as a as a as a culture as a group we feel that we that getting paid is an inconvenience on others well i think that i think that there's the work we do for for uh, for ourselves and the work we do for others right um there's a wonderful book by by paul bonin rodriguez who's a professor at ut austin called, uh, called performing policy how contemporary politics and cultural programs um redefine you know the work and it's about artists learning to to get paid because if they don't learn to get paid they are actually disenfranchising the artists who come after them who want to get paid wow but i think when we are working for our friends and helping a friend develop something yeah we we don't mind not getting paid because we're going to get to do something that we might not get to do because it's against our brand, but it's going to be exciting for us creatively. But when we're working for people who have a lot of money, we want to get paid. Right. Oh, <laughs> we might be doing something we don't want to do or something that you just like to see us do that we are tired of doing. So you need to pay us right. to do that. But when, when we're exploring something creative and exciting, yeah, that, that is the payment. And, and what's also, yes, a hundred percent true. And what's really interesting is like, if it's part of the the idea of it, like with Musical Theater Factory, part of the idea was that it was a collective. No one got paid. We just collectively created a new wave of forward-moving theater. And those of you that showed up to paint the floors and those of you that showed up to take tickets and those of you that showed up to write the shows got the most out of the experience and it was that socialist it was that socialist experience that was so unlike anything i've ever experienced before that it was like i didn't need any money i just wanted to be a part of musical theater factory and under that roof and i got to sit on the panel that shows the cohorts that are just finishing up their 18 months of space and resources. And, you know, I've sat on many, many panels and judging and awards. And um, this panel of 14 people that was put together by Mayan Tao and Shakina Nafak and Nandita Shinoy, it was the most inclusive and interesting group of artists that I'd ever uh, got to do decision-making with. And the kind of decisions that were made were reflected in that. I remember there was a moment when we were looking at uh, offering something to a Native American artist and there was a comment from somewhere that um, in past uh, people had said that this particular artist spoke in metaphors and people didn't understand. And uh, one of the Native American adjudicators was like, that is my culture. That is how we communicate. And she was passionate and, and full of tears. And um, 
you know, there were enough of us on the panel who were like, well, you know what, that's, that's a gift, that's a skill. So these people who don't understand that, this is an opportunity for them to learn a skill that they could not get, but from association with someone from a culture where that is how they have been raised and that is in their, their DNA and their bones. And so that artist, you know, got these resources and the other artists in that cohort got the opportunity to learn from something that that's the only way they could learn it. Because specifically with Native Americans, it is an oral tradition. They don't write it down because they do not want the colonists to steal their lives and their stories. Now, you and I are learners. We we take in, we're sponges, we want to learn. But why are people so, so ashamed of learning? Why are people, why do not people not want to learn anymore? I don't know that it's that people don't want to learn anymore. I think about this often because, you know, I teach it. uh, I was teaching at NYU third year advanced acting. And one of the things I would try to explain to my students, and I don't think they got it. It'll be, I don't know, decades before they get it is that right now your attention is the gold, is the ore that companies are mining. The surveillance capital system is collecting your time, your energy, your attention. I grew up before that existed. So I know what it is to have no time to just daydream and and, and have a download from the universe of some beautiful piece of art. Hmm. That is something this current generation, since we've had you know, the World Wide Web, they don't even know what that is. There is not, if you didn't grow up in the country, what is it to just wake up and just daydream? Yeah, yeah. You know, I asked them to do an exercise of like, how would you fill your day if you got to decide? And so much of their day was filled with things that they had to do because they were responsible. You know, where is just the, I'm going to just be sitting out with the, with the sky and looking at it and see, we're taking a walk and seeing what, what gets downloaded, what the universe is trying to express through me Yeah. rather than what some business is trying to get my attention, to pay attention to, to tweet, to retweet, to, to pace, to respond to. And that's what I talk about. And that's what I talk about when it comes to, to empathy. It's the, my empathicness is what is being downloaded. What am I downloading from the universe? What can I gather Mm. from what's around me and not on my screen? Mm -hmm. And that's why I say, that's why I say I'm not special when it comes to it. I just kind of, I, I figured out how I communicate in ways that way, just because I was able to daydream. I was, I was given those opportunities to daydream and to think and to create. I come from a family of creators. So I was given that experience and I just, that way of communication, I was able to kind of decipher at an early age. How we hope, I mean, the best hope would be that this time gives people the opportunity, you know, I mean, some people aren't going to get that all our essential service workers, they need to get some big bonus at the end of this for not just the time and the risk and everything, Mm -hmm. but for the people who have had to stop, that they don't stop and fill all of that time with, with the screens. Right. Right. No, it's so true. It's so true. Um, I, 
you know, I, I really, I really do hope that we as a society also take this time and are able to get in touch with a more slow moving lifestyle. We are able to get in touch with our empathy now that we're not, you know, hustling and bustling all over the country. We're making all these deadlines. We're doing all this stuff. Sure, work. Yes, get. But also take the time out and draw a picture have a conversation, take a tiny walk. And I hope mm. that we get to do that and really get in touch with our empathic sides during this time. Some, some absolutely will. And some will be like, okay, now how can I use this to consolidate more power? Mm-hmm. Exactly. We've seen that they don't need schools. We can put all the schools online. We can save on those buildings. We can save on those people. <laughs> we have to know that, that you know, the, the nature of the universe is that everything, that the pole of it is going to, to manifest simultaneously. And how do we not get into a defensive attack? How do we figure out to work with all the energies that are, that are, you know, erupting in this moment in time, because they're all erupting. It's so true. So Tanya, talk to me about your podcast. Tell me, tell me what, as a listener, I can uh, get excited about and what I can uh, venture uh, discover when I venture over to your podcast. Oh, well, my podcast, I originally wanted to call it the um, politically incorrect podcast, <laughs> your podcast. I happen to be talking to George C. Wolf of uh, that day and be like, nah, you should call it. You can't say that. The show where you can. And so, uh, yeah, it's called You Can't Say That. And um, I think it's conversations like you and I have that are not necessarily totally industry focused conversations, but conversations that I don't like, I don't plan them, um, that are like human to human conversations. And hopefully each of my guests uh, reveals something about themselves that you might not know about them in a performative context. There is a lot of swearing. Oh, um, yes. this, we're releasing one that I'm really looking forward to. It's the first time I had five guests in the room, which is all of the gentlemen of the hot wing Kings. And we talk a lot about, you know, being a gay man, being a black man, what that's like, how that was like, what, what that was like to grow up as an artist. I'm very into plant medicines and, you know, self-help and therapy and how do we heal ourselves. So I have a whole series of guests from the psychotherapy um, realm and from the psychopharmacology realm. So, you know, we've got people talking about mushrooms and ayahuasca and uh, psychodrama, um, you know, Taylor Mack, Bridget Everett, um, talking about child rearing, um, really just things that have interested me as a woman uh, are, are what I talked to. I talked to a police officer about, um, you know, violence against uh, black men. And, and this was a black police officer and we held very different opinions about what happened with Trayvon Martin. Wow. So uh, I very much pick people who don't agree with me a lot um, because I'm interested in opinions that aren't mine. Well, I can't, and I can't wait to talk on your podcast because, you know, I have a really, uh, I have a really, uh, specific, um, relationship with, with marijuana and I have a very, very, very life-changing, um, experience that I had when my space cake was laced with LSD in Amsterdam. Oh, 
Well, we will definitely have to do a, a podcast about that. I would love that. That would be amazing. And this episode, yeah. this episode with you on it was so great. And I'm so glad that we we got in there, girl. And I love that. And I can't wait for everyone to listen to this. And um, I'm so excited to consider you a new friend. Thank you, Michael. And I look forward to uh, being in the same space with you when the quarantine is over. Me too. And where can we find you on social media? You can find me at Tanya Pinkins on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I'm on Facebook. I guess I'm on all of the social media platforms, I think. Amazing. And you can't play that podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network. Yes, I love that. And I, I can't wait to, to listen more and to um, engage in so many amazing more conversations with you. You've been amazing. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Tanya. Pleasure speaking. This podcast is produced by the Broadway Podcast Network. Make sure to find me online via Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at the Dressing Room Project, or on Twitter at mkushnerphoto, and visit me online via bpn.fm forward slash dearmultihyphenate. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.